Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. You know, I uh, intentionally chose a message today thinking about our students, and, uh, and it, it's not always an easy message. Um, now, they're going to be going heading over, some of them, to the student center and uh, the various ministries they have. But I want you to listen today to what God's Word has to say, because today I want to talk about and decide about what really matters. You know, there's a frequent question that I get asked, and that is, are we living in the end times? Well, the easy answer is, without a doubt. We definitely are. You see, when Jesus ascended into heaven, the end times began. The redemptive story that God had began, that began right after creation, after Adam and Eve, God began this redemptive story. And through all history, through all of the Old Testament, through all the New Testament, it's all about God's redemptive story. And he established the people of Israel. He gave them the promised land. He sent judges. He sent kings. He sent prophets, all leading up to the coming of Jesus. And through it out, through all of that, God was and is still calling people to himself. And then God intervened directly when he sent his son, Jesus, who lived his life, was crucified, was buried, and was resurrected. And ever since then, Jesus, from that time of Jesus until now, has been the end times. So the real question then is how close are we to the actual end? See, you were born in the end times, but how close are we to the actual end? And uh, there's, um, there's a set of events that are to take place, and those are events that usher in the end of the end times. And um, all the time between Jesus and then now are the end times, but now we're gonna talk about today what Jesus had to say about the end of the end times. Jesus told us this in great detail. In fact, so much so that in the passage we're gonna look at in Matthew, it's called by some as the the little apocalypse. And so I wanna look at what Jesus said And there's at least eight things that we can draw from what he said, events that will take place. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 24. We're going to begin in verse 3. We're just going to go verse by verse as we walk through this. Later, Jesus sat down on the Mount of Olives. So you, you have the city of Jerusalem. You have a little valley there. Then you have the Garden of Gethsemane. And then you go up a little higher. You have the Mount of Olives. So that's where they were. And he sat down at the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately. And he said, tell us, when will all this happen? When will this return happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? So that was a straight up forward question. And Jesus answered it. Jesus told them, Don't let anyone mislead you. 
Isn't that interesting that he began with that statement? There's always going to be those individuals that will mislead you. There are going to be some of our students who will go off to college and they're going to hear things that could easily mislead them. That crowd is always out there and have always been out there. It says, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name. They will come in the name of Jesus. So that's why it's a little deceptive. And they'll claim, I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. A lot of people will follow after those individuals. And, and so this, this started happening within a couple of hundred years after Jesus and has continued to happen ever since then. And we're seeing it on a huge level even today. So number one, there will be false prophets. There will be people who claim to be Christ or some type of Messiah leader. That's one of the clues, one of the events. Individuals will rise and teach what isn't true and try to get people to follow them. But they won't be of God. And we have a long list of those people right now. And I want to tell you, bottom line, it's always about power and money. Always. In fact, the more you hear one of these guys on TV talking about money, that's a huge clue to you that they could be one of these individuals. So the first one is there'll be false prophets, false messiahs. And they'll come in the name of Jesus. Verse 6. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars. But don't panic. Yes, these things must take place. But the end won't follow immediately. In other words, it gives this idea that these things are going to happen. But it's not going to be immediately that the end comes. But it's nearby. Nation will go to war against nation. We saw that in World War I and World War II. And kingdom against kingdom. So there have always been wars, but we're going to see an increase. So the second thing is, Jesus said, there will be wars and threats of wars. In other words, we will be in, a, in an age of anxiety, an age, an age of fear of world conflict. And, and there will be conflicts between nations. Now, second part of verse 7. It says there will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. So number three, we will see an increase in the number of natural disasters, floods, hurricanes, tornadoes, droughts, earthquakes. Now, we've always had those things, but there will become an intensity of those things. And you and I have been seeing that in our lifetime. Verse 8, but all of this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Now that phrase birth pains gives us a, lets me know that it's near the end of the end. Because birth pains, they happen after a, wife, a woman has gone through uh, nine, uh, or am I supposed to say person of birth? No, what is, what is the phrase? <laughs> I, I want to be correct here. Well, let's just call him a woman, okay? When a woman has a baby and she goes through those nine months, 
then the baby starts the process of coming called labor. Well, that's what Jesus is talking about. These things are going to be like the beginning of labor. You know the birth is coming, but not yet, but real soon. So Jesus warned disciples not to be deceived by imposters or be overwhelmed by catastrophes in hope of a premature end of history. Time must run its predestined course, predestined by God himself. God himself has already set everything in place and nothing's going to make it come earlier or later. It's going to be right on time based on God's time schedule. And Jesus is giving us what it looks like. The signs predicted in verses four through eight that we just read are not necessarily the end, but rather they're signs just prior to the end. Verse nine, then you will be arrested, persecuted and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. So number four, the fourth sign is Christians will be persecuted for their faith. They'll be ridiculed. They'll be discriminated against. And we're seeing this. Even Christians in the United States. We're often called alarmist. We're called bigots. We're called homophobics. We're called racists. And on and on and on. So number four, Christians will be persecuted. <clears throat> either emotionally or through society and some physically. I mean, we had two of our church planners <clears throat> who lost their lives for proclaiming the word of God. Verse 10. And many will turn away from me. And betray and hate each other. Number five, a lot of people are going to turn away from their faith. They will renounce Jesus and they will say that they no longer believe in him. I want to tell you, sadly, it breaks my heart. I'm seeing this more and more. I cannot tell you how many people have come to see me, usually out of respect for our friendship, who grew up in this church and they've left and gone on to other things and, and have left church wherever they're living. I've had many of them to come and sit down with me and say, you know, you, you were a huge part of my life. But I just need to tell you, I need to be honest with you, I just don't believe anymore. And they said, I, I don't want to offend you. And I usually say, I'm not the one you need to be concerned about offending and it breaks my heart for them. And I'm seeing this more and more. I mean, we're seeing churches closing their doors left and right. I mean, by the hundreds on a daily basis. Even in our own Southern Baptist Convention last year, 500,000 walked away. And we're still the largest denomination, but that doesn't mean nothing. Number six, 
There will be internal division and discord among Christians. He says you'll betray and hate each other. Christians are going to turn on each other. And, and we're seeing this in denominations, most recently in the Methodist church. And, and we're seeing this in the Baptist churches, a, a great deal of infighting. Verse 11, and many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere. And it, it's interesting to me that Jesus repeated what he said at the very beginning, that there will be false prophets, false messiahs. I mean, that's a big clue to you that when he repeats himself, it's kind of like, don't miss this. I've said it once, I'm saying it again, there will be false prophets. You better learn to recognize them. You need to understand who they are. You need to figure out based on what truth is, based on God's word, whether they're of me or not. So many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere. That alone right there gets my attention. And the love of many will grow cold. So number seven, immorality and insensitivity towards immorality will reign throughout the land. It certainly is reigning in our country. We will engage ourselves in things that embarrass God and we don't even blush about it. He says the love of many will grow cold. You know, in the community of Jesus' disciples, when the love diminishes among each other, the community ceases to be what God created it to be. You know, for years, the homosexual community has fought for their rights. They fought for the right for marriage, and that was decades in the making. And now we hardly think about it. But there were many prophets who predicted that this would open a broader door. In fact, I don't believe we're on a slippery slope. I think we're standing on a cliff. Not far from falling off it. I want to share an article that I read recently. It talked about the International Commission of Jurists, which is a self-described defender of human rights around the world. They made a presentation to the United Nations Human Rights Council recently, and that report was accepted. Now, part of that report, listen to this, you, the words, they try to mask it in the words, but it, the, the real intent comes out. I'm reading it. Sexual conduct. If you don't think we're on a cliff, listen to this. Sexual conduct involving persons below the domestically prescribed minimum age of consent to sex may be consensual. The individuals under the age of 18, including children, should make their own decisions about engaging in sexual conduct. 
you get that? And the UN accepted that. Their premise is that these age of consent laws should be ignored and that sex with minors is not a social evil. Let that sink in a little bit. This is being talked about on an international level. A transgender legislator in Minnesota recently drafted a bill declaring Minnesota a refuge state for medical transitioning minors. That same legislator also proposed an amendment to their constitution that would classify sexual attachment to children to be protected as a sexual orientation. And that, that makes me want to throw up. In Colorado, 27 representatives in the House of Representatives just voted against making indecent exposure to minors a, felon, a felony. In Washington State, a bill is in process that would allow the state to legally hide children from their parents if parents don't consent to their child's gender transition or abortion. We are reaching a day when calling someone a pedophile is going to be called being bigoted and insensitive. So you see the progression? Right now, the transgenders are having their heyday. And the progressive culture is seeking to move the needle even further towards our precious children. Just a few days ago, there was a drag show in New York City that was sponsored by, well, I don't even want to say, and it featured a 13-year-old drag kid. That was the star of the show. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, Jesus was talking to one of the churches. He says, I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Literally, that means you've lost your first love. You see, when the church was first established, their love for Christ and their love for each other was amazing. And it made them strong and they grew like crazy. But as we struggle with false teachers and persecution, that's caused our original first love to grow cold. We can have correct theology. We can do the right things. But it's just an empty shell if Christians, if the Christian life does not have a dynamic love for each other and for others. Now let's continue in Matthew 24 and look at the last sign. Verse 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world. So that all nations will hear it. And then, and then, the end will come. These seven other things are going to happen real close to the end. But when this eighth thing happens, 
That is the end. The sign is that before it all ends, the good news of Jesus will be proclaimed to everyone in the world. And I want to tell you, the internet, internet makes that possible today. I've got friends that I can FaceTime with, and it doesn't matter where they are in the world, and we can sit there and we can talk to each other in real time, instantaneously. So are we in the end times? Are these eight indicators in play? You know, the online world is full of false teachers. There are even, uh, listen to this one, there are even parents who are false teachers to their children. Even parents. I mean, when you do not teach your child the word of God, you're a false teacher. When you make the statement that, well, I'm going to let them decide for themselves, you're being a false teacher. There have been uh, a lot of nervousness about the possibility of World War III with Russia's invasion of the Ukraine and with China over Taiwan and with North Korea over everybody. We're seeing a spike in severe weather patterns. Christians are being persecuted around the world, especially in China and India. And even here in the United States, Christian values and beliefs are mocked and ridiculed and Christian stances are even being penalized in some areas. In fact, I find it interesting that our faith is the only one that is actually mocked. In the last three years of COVID, we have seen the Christian community divided like never before. You know, we've had our doctrinal divides, we've had our worship styles divide, but COVID, it divided us over masks, it divided Christians over vaccines. It divided Christians over QAnon. I don't even remember what that was. I just remember everybody fighting about it. You know, we've moved beyond gay marriage to affirming everything that's trans. You know, the United States is now the largest producer and exporter of pornography. We now have a cultural, technological climate that would allow for the rise of the Antichrist and his deception to take hold of the world. With the coming power of artificial intelligence and deep fakes and mass deception, which we have been a part of, that will become much easier. It's exactly what the Antichrist would need. And I want to tell you, the plans of the Democrats and Republicans are child's play compared to the plans of the Antichrist. The truth is, we don't know the exact time, only what the world would look like and will feel like when the end is near. Now, I'm not one of those guys that says we need to run for the hills, we need to hunker down, we need to isolate ourselves. I embrace the counsel of C.S. Lewis when he said that 
We should live each day as if the world's last night is tonight. God, what do you want me to do today? I, I, I pray that when the Lord returns, he will find me doing his will. So what do we do in the meantime? Well, here's the key. We seek truth and wisdom. In John chapter 8, Jesus said to all the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and that truth, that's what's going to set you free. It's going to set you free from sin. It's going to set you free from depression. It's going to set you free from all the things that hold you down. You know, discipleship is far more than just knowing who Jesus is. It's obeying his teachings. A genuine believer holds fast and obeys and practices the teachings of Jesus. A real disciple is both a learner and a doer. Because Jesus is the truth. Knowing him will bring you discernment about what is true and what is false. So the way you discern a false prophet is by delving into scripture. And when a false prophet shows up, you easily recognize it because you know the truth. When Jesus was confronted by Satan, he said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scripture says people do not live by bread alone. And here it is. But by every word that comes from the mouth of God, that's what you feast on. That's real bread of life. Every day when I was in college, I was going to a secular school, and, and I knew that, that I could be challenged about my faith. And I decided, you know, I'm just going to immerse myself in God's word. And, and someone shared a thing to do, and I did it all through college. Every day I would read one chapter of Proverbs, and I'd read five chapters of Psalms. And, and, I, and I would go through both books every month. And I would just start it over the next month. And the reason I did those two books is because Proverbs deals with your relationship with other people and Psalms deals with your relationship with God. It teaches you a lot about God and prophets teach you a lot about people. And so I was able to gain wisdom and discernment based on God's word, not my opinion, because my opinion is worthless. My opinion is absolutely worthless. My wisdom, God says, makes him laugh. I mean, my my wisdom is foolishness to God. So I want to be immersed in God's wisdom. And the only way to do that is through scripture. Tim Keller, who passed away this past week, a brilliant thinker, an influencer of the church and the Christian culture, he, he said this, you are more sinful than you could ever dare to imagine. And you are more loved and accepted than you could ever dare to hope. At the same time. At the same time. 
So seek wisdom, seek truth, seek purpose from the one source, God's holy word, so that when the end does come, you are doing what God would have you to do. Let me just share one last verse. It's not going to be on the screen. Out of Galatians 6. It says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Always. Whatever you're planting in your life, that's what's going to grow. Those who live only to satisfy, listen to this, listen, listen, listen. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So choose to live to please the Holy Spirit of God. Don't, don't give up. Let's pray.